0: Welcome to Behavior Fit Radio, where we talk health, fitness, and behavior analysis. I'm your host, Nick Green. Welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. Today is Monday, January 21st, 2019. And if you're like me, like most Americans, you probably caught some of the AFC and NFC championship games last night. Good old NFL on a Sunday here in January, we saw the Saints uh, lose to the Los Angeles Rams and the Chiefs take a loss in overtime. Both games were overtime to the GOAT, Tom Brady. So after my workout this morning, I was reflecting and just thinking, like, what happened in those games? And so I think the results of yesterday's question, or games, kind of begs the question, did the Saints get hosed or the Patriots given a gift? Well, I think so. I mean, in a way, if you saw the end of the Saints game, so if you didn't catch the game, spoiler alert. Uh, Drew Brees, who I'm par- partial to because I went to Purdue. I saw him play in college, so even though my Cowboys lost and got manhandled by the L.A. Rams last week, I was cheering for the Saints, and um, uh, Saints were driving. Looks like they had the game in control, and then... Drew Brees threw a pass, which could have been caught or it could have been a play there within the five-yard line and a Rams cornerback clearly took out the wide receiver. It was blatant. It was a missed call. Um, so it just made me think, like, okay, the Saints got screwed out of that call, but what? how could have this situation been made better? And on the other side, in the AFC, the late game yesterday, the Patriots, um, they were driving to go down and... Um, if I remember the score correctly, they were driving to go take the lead, they ended up scoring a touchdown, but on that drive, there was a roughing the passer, we'll call it quote roughing the passer, against the Kansas City Chiefs defenseman, and he, I mean, even the announcers yesterday said it was a, a swing and a miss, where the defensive end was going to tackle Tom Brady, he swatted over Tom Brady's his left shoulder as Brady was throwing the ball, and he and it looked like maybe from an angle that uh, Tom Brady's face mask got held or something like that but um, that was not the case um, so he got a roughing the passer which was a automatic first down now now I'm not taking anything away from what happened there with the pass and Brady played excellent in the uh, in overtime you know he went three for three on third downs and hit Edelman for 10 yards in the middle of the in the middle of the field so he played great. But uh, but those two key plays there, the Saints there's a clear the cornerback knocked took, took out the Saints receiver, and it should have been you know interviewed the head coach Sean Payton at the end of the game yesterday, and he said the refs missed two calls. One was clearly defensive pass interference, and another one was a helmet to helmet. Neither were called, and at that point in the game, the Saints would have, more than likely, barring anything crazy happening, would have. Just run the clock down and kick the field goal from you know the two yard line, and the game would have been over. The Saints would have been in the Super Bowl. That's what would have happened there. Now with the Chiefs game, it's hard telling, but the outcomes would have been a lot different. So uh, we take these two outcomes and I think like what what's the kind of the behavioral principle here that we're all familiar with that might apply and could maybe improve um, these you know these outcomes that makes it better for. You know the viewer of sports, everything, and um what you know i' I'll, I'll, I'll get into it here in a second, but you know it's called inter observer agreement, but you know it's really about just following rules and being consistent because just in general in the world that we live in, I think that we all are to some degree a behavioral scientist, a behavior analyst you know whether or not we have the training, we still want to know when we do things in the world and when we interact with people that certain things are predictable and if things aren't predictable then we get very frustrated with our arms up in the air and that's that's just the nature really of behavior analysis we we see things happening around us we want to know like if we put a dollar in the vending machine will the vending machine give me something every time with 99 percent predictability if we um, if we go to the gym and we lift weights on a certain program, we want to know because you know exercise science tell us tells us that if we if we work the muscles, if we feed it right, if we rest up, that, that those things will grow. If we have those goals in mind, then we will continue doing those things. Why? Because they're meaningful outcomes, the meaningful consequences. What happens when we put the put the dollar bill in the vending machine? We get some type of treat or goodie, hopefully a sugar free, you know, liquid drink. Uh, you know, whatever it is, water, zero zero carb, uh, Gatorade, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, we want to know if we put that dollar bill in the vending machine that, you know, pending the power gets shut down or the thing gets stuck. Right. We've all seen that classic example of shaking it. We engage in other behaviors to get the the, the same outcome. And also, you know, if we go to the gym, we want to know if we follow this uh, this this program that we will go ahead and we'll make the gains because if not, you know, we might change a different program, we might change what we eat, we might hire a different coach, we might try a different program, but, you know, it's all about consistency and predictability. So now, when it comes to watching the NFL, we want to know that the refs are calling a fair game, because if things aren't fair in the world, then, you know, it's, it's hard telling how predictable things will be. So that's, I I can uh, you know empathize with the with Coach Sean Payton that like man he really got screwed there because if another situation arises then you don't know what's going to happen. Okay, with that being said, now we have to look at. Okay, we have, and uh, and the NFL we have the official replay. You know, coaches get challenges; they can challenge the play, and with millions of people watching, especially with that cornerback play, it is clear. It was clear the. the it was uh the the defender wasn't even watching the ball it's clear as day i think if you would poll 100 refs that were sitting at home watching this game they would all say yes that was a foul so now the trouble becomes for the refs that are in the game do we blame that individual person and as a behavior analyst i would never blame the individual um there's something going on in the environment um and it, you know w- that that could be You know, responsible for missed call. You know, the the ref could have you know could have fallen down, could have blinked, could have missed it, could have been looking at something else, could have been distracted. Um, It's hard telling what's going on out there, but at the end of the day, we have to think about okay. So the ref the ref made an error. The ref is a human. Humans are allowed to make errors. I think it is our job to kind of course correct and look at what we can do to um, to help. Facilitate whatever it is that we're looking. So we want to make the game better. We want to make the the NFL more predictable as far as um, fairness. And if if you've been watching the NFL over the past two years, all the commentators you know are, are just just describing how bad the officiating is. Well, I think that we can look at a couple different things. So the NFL gets replay and um, coaches challenges. So if there's a, a controversial call in the play because refs can't see everything there's a million things to look at you can go to the video you get the official uh, look look see from i don't know nfl headquarters in new york city whether or the alternative you know the virtual ref is you got that um but also the other issue is is that you want to make these calls to help speed up the game okay and if you have too many of these replays and you know it, it ruins the r- ruins the flow and everything but I think what could happen here is the use of some type of mini jury, some type of mini, what I called earlier, the inter-observer agreement. And we all do this. What that means is that you have more than one person that either agrees, yes, did something happen, or no, did something not happen. So if we look at the replay with this cornerback penalty call, if you asked the officials, the pros, the experts, and I respect the NFL, I respect the, the referees, if you were to ask, You know, maybe you have a group of five or seven. Was there a call here that was missed? You know, if if you get a majority vote, I think if you had seven referees, seven people would say, yes, that's right. So I don't think as much criticism should be placed on the individual ref or uh, put on the individual coach, uh, you know, on whether to challenge or not, because you get only a couple a game. But if we took. This behavioral principle called interobserver agreement, and just quickly applied it to certain calls, certain controversial plays that we could maybe, um, you know, pick up on. I think we could have a better, fairly matched game. Um, you, you don't get, uh, you, you don't have a situation like the Saints, who, who clearly, they were hosed out of a, you know, a probability of, you know, again, we're playing, we're playing odds here, so it's like we want to live in a predictable world, and most likely, if Drew Brees is on the five-yard line with 4 seconds left they will you know 99% of the time score field you know score field goal or touchdown and win the game it might not happen but we have to put people in that situation the predictable situation so i believe that um yes the saints got screwed and it could have been remedied here at the end of the game that maybe you have a quick look in with uh you know maybe it's uh you know the last 2 minutes of the game i think that's a rule for uh the official reviews now something like that where if you just look at any any type of controversial play any type of uh context that appears illegal maybe if you have um, a couple officials looking at okay you know wherever the play of the action was you know maybe you can't apply it to every single offensive defensive lineman situation but if you can look at maybe under under two minutes you get three people that um are under official review and if if it's a uh a clear situation where you know somebody missed the play you know don't blame the line judge or whatever the guy's name is on on missing it yeah he missed one he missed a pass interference he missed a helmet a helmet I don't know what it's like to be you know in a, a, a referee in the NFL I can only imagine the pressure and everything that you're thinking about but if we take that person out of the situation just think about the system that is in the NFL how we can make it better I think a lot of us you know would wake up Sunday morning or Monday morning and say yeah that was a that was a fair game. I'm glad that the uh, NFL course corrected there, and that seems to be just as an aside that the NFL seems a little too delayed when it comes to course correcting. So if we can implement some type of beha- you know behavioral principle here, using IOA more effectively, more efficiently, getting the majority vote because it's that, that that's the essence of the armchair quarterback. You get a million people who can call the game from the couch and say, "Yes, that was that was clear as day." And so um, I think there is that balance here that the NFL has to. Has to juggle, but again, if we could get three to five people, three to five officials, you know, they're very knowledgeable, they know the game, and you don't need to know that much about the NFL to see that there was a, a blown missed call, and um, I think it could be fixed or enhanced that way. Um, maybe not in the way that I said it, but um, clearly, whenever there's a, a situation and uh, we're working with humans, there's a lot of subjectivity involved, um, you know, you never know how. You know how much better the NFL could be. So that was the example with the the Rams and the Saints, and then the other example with um, uh, the Patriots and the and the Chiefs. Similar example. You can clearly see when the uh, the lineman's hand was going over the shoulder, there was nothing rough about it, and that's been a, a a controversial area this whole season and last season of the whole protecting the quarterback and the quarterback cannot get um, hit too often or too hard, and um, there's a lot of controversial calls at the beginning of the play or at the beginning of the season but with this end of the end of the fourth quarter drive by mr tom brady of course you know tom brady has uh been the been the uh what do you want to call it? the the genesis of a lot of these rules the tuck rule all those things but again you could you can look at roughing the passer and this is already a very subjective subjective area but that was clearly not rough you know he just slapped his shoulder tom brady had the ball he was throwing it so i don't understand what the the roughing part was it could have been, um, again the the angle it might have looked like the uh, their lineman grabbed the face mask, but it didn't happen. So again, the result of that play was a 15-yard penalty. And um, if we had a quick, you know, three three ref jury to quickly review, um, we could say, hey, that was um, you know, that was not a call. And I you know this this makes me think of uh, it appears that the refs do huddle up whenever there is a call made, a penalty on the field, and so you get five to six people. But the problem there is that they don't have the objective video evidence of the replay of the play that just happened. So it's like, okay, I saw this, you saw that. They want to make it go fast, but um, if just uh, like—this is probably—I mean, all all the refs wear mics. But if there is a case where you have, okay, three refs look at the video really fast, radio down to the head ref, and they make the change— Um, I would say three refs that are looking at videos would have a stronger case than the seven that were uh, maybe on the field or whatever it is. So um, there could be enhancement, I believe, if uh, the behavioral principle that we're talking about is inter-observer agreement. Again, inter just means between people. You have a group of people. Do we agree that roughing the passer happened? Do we agree that helmet-to-helmet targeting happened? Do we agree, do we disagree that do we disagree that defensive pass interference occurred or not? So um, that's kind of it. I just wanted to throw a little commentary there about the about the NFL and the results of yesterday's playoffs. They're both exciting games to watch. Um, I think that's the, 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 the troubling piece here is that um, we have just a huge disagreement, pun intended here, that we have the viewers and the commentators disagree largely with the NFL officials. Especially in the context of we have video evidence, you know, we have so much technology today that it's just—it seems like it becomes more and more obvious when people do things wrong and when people do things right. Just a quick aside before I end here—it's—it's it's, uh, you know we see all the we see all the sizzle reels on Instagram, we see the highlight videos on YouTube. Um, it's 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 more interesting to watch a game with high impact and everything, and you know we take the we take the ref out the task or we take the ref you know we want to put him on trial right away when he there's a call that wasn't made so what we're seeing here we're seeing all the calls that this ref didn't make um but what we don't see i imagine the internal you know quality control of the nfl and the refs their training system that they look at how many calls that they did get right but you know that makes for boring tv so if we see a refs a side judge and he let's say there's a 100 plays and out of 98 of them, he gets all correct calls and all correct non-calls or, you know, throws flags when he needs to and, you know, keeps people on sides. If we see that, like that's boring TV. You know, could you imagine that? Like, oh, look, side judge here, side side judge Brian, uh, referee, he got, he called offsides correctly. Nobody says that. You know, we need to look at that from, you know, this is another behavioral piece on top of that. Um, if we're looking at if we want to reinforce proper calling, accurate calling, that's a whole nother that's a that's a conversation for another day, but uh in the context of this conversation, we're not seeing all the agreements. We're only all the the total agreements that uh, all the total correct calls that the referees are making. We only, you know, cry at the end of games. We only make a big fuss when, you know, there's bigger stakes, bigger consequences on the line. So, um again, just to review uh point 1. I believe the Saints got got hosed out of a Super Bowl opportunity. Um I think the if we had a couple of refs agree on what happened, um, the game would have been different. And same with the Chiefs. Had we um, had extra review there, I think it would have been interesting. So um, this is a little different episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions or comments, feel, feel free to contact me. Email me, nick at behaviorfit.com. If you're in the NFL, let's do some work together and figure out how to make a striking balance between happy customers, watching your product, that is the NFL and Super Bowl, and your workers, the, the employees, the refs, uh, the, the, the quarterbacks, the running backs, the cornerbacks, all those people, coaches. So um, have a good day, uh, enjoy the Super Bowl, and uh, catch you on the next one. That's it for today's episode. To learn more about Behavior Fit visit www.behaviorfit.com. And if you haven't already, follow me on social media. I'm active on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just find me at BehaviorFit, B-E-H-A-V-I-O-R-F-I-T. And look forward to hearing from you, and keep moving. All right, on today's episode, I interviewed none other than our friend, Jim Moore. Jim is a, uh, he's a researcher. He's a former faculty member. Most importantly, he just published an article in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis about Olympic lifting. It talked about different ways to teach the Olympic lift, and I uh, made a post about it on my social media, and a lot of people um, engaged with the post, made lots of comments. Um, the, the, uh, the title of the article itself is Comparing Forward and Backward Chaining and Teaching Olympic Weightlifting, so... Olympic weightlifting is something that I love and enjoy. You know, it's a part of CrossFit, which um, I like as well. Um, so this episode, we had a lot of conversations um, Jim and I have over the past uh, week or two, um, really kind of in response to the big uh, uptake and the warm reception of the post and everything. So I thought, hey, Jim, let's uh, let's get you on the podcast and chat about all things related to, you know, your article and anyth- anything else. So Jim and I had a good conversation um, today. And um, what we we covered, you know, we kind of just went on our own kind of tangents on Olympic weightlifting. We talk a little bit about his history as a coach and um, owning a CrossFit box himself, looking at all the opportunities for behavior analysis. Um, This episode would be great for those who are interested in any of these areas of fitness. Um, if you're a behavior analyst or not, if you're interested in these industries, a lot of good, uh, valuable teaching moments that Jim shares. And also, you know, if you're, if you're somebody looking to make an impact in these areas of fitness and behavior analysis, uh, these these fields are just kind of emerging as kind of a joint uh, venture, if you will. And um, I think there's a, a lot of things to take away from this one. Hopefully, it'll be the first of many episodes. Um, and just in advance here, the audio isn't the best. We had a lot of technical difficulties, but um, stay around for the content. It's a lot. It's, it's pretty good. So just bear with, uh, kind of the ups and downs of the volume, but you know, it'll be fine. So without further ado, here's Jim. All right. On today's episode, I interviewed none other than a friend, Jim Moore. Jim is a, uh, he's a researcher. He's a former faculty member. Most importantly, he just published an article in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis, about Olympic lifting. It talked about different ways to teach the Olympic lift, and I uh, made a post about it on my social media, and a lot of people um, engaged with the post, made lots of comments. Um, the, the, uh, the title of the article itself is Comparing Forward and Backward Chaining and Teaching Olympic Weightlifting. So Olympic weightlifting is something that I love and enjoy. You know, It's a part of CrossFit, which um, I like as well. Um so this episode we had a lot of conversations um, Jim and I have over the past uh, week or two, um, really kind of in response to the big uh, uptake and the warm reception of the post and everything. so I thought hey jim let's uh let's get you on the podcast and chat about all things related to you know your article and anything else. So Jim and I had a good conversation um, today. And um, what we, we covered, you know, we kind of just went on our own kind of tangents on Olympic weightlifting. We talked a little bit about his history as a coach and um, owning a CrossFit box himself. I'm looking at all the opportunities for behavior analysis. Um, this episode would be great for those who are interested in any of these areas of fitness. Um, if you're a behavior analyst or not, if you're interested in these industries, a lot of good, uh, valuable teaching moments that Jim shares and also, you know, if you're, if you're somebody looking to make an impact in these areas of fitness and behavior analysis, uh, these, these fields are just kind of emerging as kind of a joint uh, venture, if you will, and um, I think there's a, a lot of things to take away from this one. Hopefully, it'll be the first of many episodes, um, and just in advance here, the audio isn't the best. We had a lot of technical difficulties, but... Um, Stay around for the content. It's a lot. It's it's pretty good. So just bear with uh, kind of the ups and downs of the volume, but you know it'll be fine. So without further ado, here's Jim. All right, on today's episode, I interviewed none other than a friend, Jim Moore. Jim is a uh, he's a researcher. He's a former faculty member. Most importantly, he just published an article in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis, about Olympic lifting. It talked about different ways to teach the Olympic lift, and I uh, made a post about it on my social media, and a lot of people um, engaged with the post, made lots of comments. Um, the, the, uh, the title of the article itself is Comparing Forward and Backward Chaining and Teaching Olympic Weightlifting. So Olympic weightlifting is something that I love and enjoy. You know, It's a part of CrossFit, which um, I like as well. Um, so this episode, we had a lot of conversations um, Jim and I have over the past uh, week or two, um, really kind of in response to the big uh, uptake and the warm reception of the post and everything. So I thought, hey, Jim, let's uh, let's get you on the podcast and chat about all things related to, you know, your article and anything else. So Jim and I had a good conversation um, today, and um, what we we covered, you know, we kind of just... One on our own kind of tangents on Olympic weightlifting. We talk a little bit about his history as a coach and um, owning a CrossFit box himself. I'm looking at all the opportunities for behavior analysis. Um, this episode would be great for those who are interested in any of these areas of fitness. Um, if you're a behavior analyst or not, if you're interested in these industries, a lot of good, uh, valuable teaching moments that Jim shares. And also, you know, if you're if you're somebody looking to make an impact in these areas of fitness and behavior analysis. Uh, these, these fields are just kind of emerging as kind of a joint uh, venture, if you will. And um, I think there's a, a lot of things to take away from this one. Hopefully, it'll be the first of many episodes. Um, and just in advance here, the audio isn't the best. We had a lot of technical difficulties, but um, stay around for the content. It's, a lot, it's, it's pretty good, so just bear with uh, kind of the ups and downs of the volume. But, you know, it'll be fine. So without further ado, here's Jim. All right, on today's episode I interviewed none other than a friend Jim Moore. Jim is a uh, he's a researcher, he's a former faculty member. Most importantly, he just published an article in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis about Olympic lifting. It talked about different ways to teach the Olympic lift and I uh, made a post about it on my social media and a lot of people um Engaged with the post, made lots of comments. Um, the, the, uh, the title of the article itself is Comparing Forward and Backward Chaining and Teaching Olympic Weightlifting. So, Olympic Weightlifting is something that I love and enjoy. You know, it's a part of CrossFit, which um, I like as well. Um, so, this episode, we had a lot of conversations, um, Jim and I have, over the past uh, week or two, um, really kind of in response to the big. Uh, uptake and the warm reception of the post and everything, so I thought, hey Jim, let's uh, let's get you on the podcast and chat about all things related to you know your article and anything else. So Jim and I had a good conversation um, today, and um, what we we covered, you know, we kind of just went on our own kind of tangents on Olympic weightlifting. We talk a little bit about his history as a coach and um, owning a CrossFit box himself. Um, looking at all the opportunities for behavior analysis. Um, this episode would be great for those who are interested in any of these areas of fitness um, if you 're a behavior analyst or not if you 're interested in these industries, a lot of good uh, valuable teaching moments that Jim shares and also you know if you're, if you 're somebody looking to make an impact in these areas of fitness and behavior analysis uh, these these fields are just kind of emerging as kind of a joint uh, venture if you will and um, i think there's a, a lot of things to take away from this one hopefully it'll be the first of many episodes um and just in advance here the audio isn't the best we had a lot of technical difficulties but um stay around for the content it's a lot it's it pretty good so just bear with uh, kind of the ups and downs of the volume but you know it'll be fine so without further ado here's jim All right, on today's episode, I interviewed none other than a friend, Jim Moore. Jim is a uh, he's a researcher, he's a former faculty member. Most importantly, he just published an article in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis about Olympic lifting. It talked about different ways to teach the Olympic lift, and I uh, made a post about it on my social media, and a lot of people... Um, engaged with the post, made lots of comments. Um, the the, uh, the title of the article itself is comparing forward and backward chaining and teaching Olympic weightlifting. So Olympic weightlifting is something that I love and enjoy. You know, it's a part of CrossFit, which um, I like as well. Um, so this episode, we had a lot of conversations um, Jim and I have over the past uh, week or two, um, really kind of in response to the big uh, uptake and the warm reception of the post and everything. So I thought, hey Jim, let's uh let's get you on the podcast and chat about all things related to, you know, your article and anyth- anything else. So Jim and I had a good conversation um today and um what we, we covered, you know, we kinda just went on our own kind of tangents on Olympic weightlifting. We talk a little bit about his history as a coach and I'm owning a CrossFit box himself. I'm looking at all the opportunities for behavior analysis. Um, this episode would be great for those who are interested in any of these areas of fitness. Um, if you're a behavior analyst or not, if you're interested in these industries, a lot of good uh, valuable teaching moments that Jim shares. And also, you know, if you're, if you're somebody looking to make an impact in these areas of fitness and behavior analysis, uh, these these fields are just kind of emerging as kind of a joint Uh, venture if you will and um, I think there's a a lot of things to take away from this one hopefully it'll be the first of many episodes Um, and just in advance here the audio isn't the best we had a lot of technical difficulties but um, stay around for the content it's a lot it's pretty good so just bear with uh, kind of the ups and downs of the volume but you know it'll be fine so without further ado here's Jim All right, on today's episode, I interviewed none other than a friend, Jim Moore. Jim is a uh, he's a researcher. He's a former faculty member. Most importantly, he just published an article in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis about Olympic lifting. It talked about different ways to teach the Olympic lift, and I uh, made a post about it on my social media, and a lot of people... Um, engaged with the post, made lots of comments. Um, the, the, uh, the title of the article itself is Comparing Forward and Backward Chaining and Teaching Olympic Weightlifting. So Olympic weightlifting is something that I love and enjoy. You know, it's a part of CrossFit, which um, I like as well. Um, so this episode, we had a lot of conversations um, Jim and I have over the past uh, week or two, um, really kind of in response to the big uh, uptake and the warm reception of the post and everything, so I thought, hey Jim, let's uh, let's get you on the podcast and chat about all things related to you know your article and anything else. So Jim and I had a good conversation um, today, and um, what we we covered, you know, we kind of just went on our own kind of tangents on Olympic weightlifting. We talk a little bit about. His history as a coach and um, owning a CrossFit box himself. I'm looking at all the opportunities for behavior analysis. Um, this episode would be great for those who are interested in any of these areas of fitness. Um, if you're a behavior analyst or not, if you're interested in these industries, a lot of good, uh, valuable teaching moments that Jim shares. And also, you know, if you're if you're somebody looking to make an impact in these areas of fitness and behavior analysis, uh, these. These fields are just kind of emerging as kind of a joint uh, venture, if you will. And um, I think there's a, a lot of things to take away from this one. Hopefully, it'll be the first of many episodes. Um, and just in advance here, the audio isn't the best. We had a lot of technical difficulties, but um, stay around for the content. It's a lot. It's it's pretty good. So just bear with uh, kind of the ups and downs of the volume, but you know it'll be fine. So without further ado, here's Jim.